0: What I'm going to do during this meeting is just give an overview of some of the things that the Lord has shown me. And usually I go into great detail because each one of these things, I've got at least five teachings on everything I'm going to be teaching during these five sessions. And so I could go into a lot more detail, but what I'm going to do is just give an overview of some of these things and, uh, Hopefully it'll have a profound impact on you. It'll help you to get a broadened view. And then of course you can get other materials and study it in more detail. But I've seen this be really effective in touching people. And uh, as I thought about this, I'm gonna just focus on basically two main things. I'm gonna talk about identity primarily throughout this entire thing. And I'm gonna talk first of all about who God is. And then I'm gonna talk about who we are in Christ. These are the things that changed my life. And as I deal with people, these are the two most misunderstood or neglected areas in people's lives. You can't truly know who you are unless you have a good understanding of who God is, because our identity, we came from him. And especially once you get born again, everything that you are and have comes from him. And if you have a wrong impression of God, it is impossible for you to have a right impression of yourself and what God has done. And so usually when you talk about identity, everybody just talks about us and what's happened to us and that's appropriate and that's good. But you know, what? I think that God is the most misrepresented person in the universe. Of course, unbelievers have a skewed opinion of God. If, uh, if they truly knew God, they'd serve him. So anybody who's not serving God does not have a good, good uh, image of God and good representation of God. But sad to say, there's a lot of Christians that have had God misrepresented to them. And because of this, this is why they struggle and why they aren't experiencing victory. And um, it just needs to be clarified. So I want to share, I'm going to spend a couple of times just talking about who God is I've got a teaching out there entitled The True Nature of God and The War is Over and some things like that that will go into a lot more detail on it. But God is the most misrepresented person in the universe and sad to say most people have a misunderstanding about Him. The scripture says in Galatians chapter 5 verse 6 that faith works by love. And then it says in 1 John chapter 4 verse 8 that God is love faith works by God, but it works specifically by understanding how much God loves you. If we really understood how much God loved us, there would not be a problem believing God. If you are struggling to believe God, if you know that the word says this and say, for instance, promises you healing or promises you joy or promises you prosperity. If you know that God has something for you, but you struggle to receive it, and you struggle with unbelief that will God really do this for me? You can describe that any way you want to, but if you keep peeling back the layers, the bottom line is you don't understand how much God loves you. I've used this exact logic with many, many people on their deathbed. And I remember one case in particular that a guy was, he, he loved God. He would just gotten the baptism of the Holy Ghost and he was so thrilled <clears throat> that you know, God had forgiven him but he just thought healing was kind of like, um, an extra, an add on. It wasn't an essential part of what Jesus came to do. And he says, you know, God's already done so much for me. I just am not sure that he wants to heal me. And he was ready to die and go be with the Lord. And I was trying to convince him that God wanted to heal him. And he says, but you don't understand. I'm not everything I should be. I haven't done everything right. And he says, I just am thrilled that I'm saved." And he says, I'm content with that. I could just die and go to be with the Lord. So his wife was beside him in this bed. This guy was basically on his deathbed. And I just looked over at his wife and I said, do you think that your wife, if she had the power to heal you, do you think that she would heal you, that she would release that power into your life? And he said, oh, without a doubt. And I said, hadn't you ever done anything to offend your wife? And he said, lots of times. He says, it's a miracle that she stuck with me. But I said, I said, in spite of the fact that you aren't the husband and the perfect person that you should be, you know, that your wife, he says, my wife would take my position. She would become like I am if that would get me healed. And I said, you think that God almighty who has all power loves you less than your wife does. And you know what? That just stopped him in his tracks. He didn't have an answer for that. And sometimes we forget this, that the Bible says God is love, that God wants you to prosper more than you want to prosper. And yet not everybody has this impression. And I'm going to say something right here. You may have to swallow hard to be able to get this, but don't turn me off and don't leave until I get a chance to explain this. But you know where, where it is that God gets the most maligned and the worst rap church, Christians are misrepresenting God big time and presenting God as a harsh, angry God who is mad. And let me say this, that the Bible gives that impression if you don't study it, if you just look at the surface level, because in the old Testament, God would smite people with the botch and the mildew and Imrods. He would send forth a death angel and kill people. One angel killed 186,000 people in one night. He smoked people with leprosy and things like this happen. And people see that in the Bible. They know that we've sinned and come short of the glory of God, Romans 3:23). And so they just suppose that all of this sickness and hurt and pain that we're suffering is just, and it's God's way of dealing with our sin. And so they connect those dots. And that's the impression that they come up that God is this harsh, mean, angry God. And I'm going to deal with this more tomorrow morning. So I'm just going to say this. And in the name of Jesus, go on (laughs) because I could stay here for a long time, but I'll deal with this more. But there is a difference between the way God dealt with us in the old covenant and in the new covenant. God is a just God. And because of his justice and holiness, sin had to be judged. I had a pastor that used to just, that was his favorite saying, sin's got to be judged. Some of you have a hard time believing this, but in the Baptist church that I grew up in, they had a microphone here on the pulpit. And this guy would jump up and stand on this part, put his feet on this part where you set your Bible. And he would scream and yell and bend over and say, sin's got to be judged. Sin's got to be judged. If you don't pay your tithes, God will put you in the hospital and take it from you. (laughs) you do something wrong, God's going to get you. And he, he used scriptures like Isaiah chapter 59 about my hand is not short. My arm is not shortened that it cannot save nor my I, I've already messed that up. You have that (laughs) glory. Isaiah 59 one, I believe it is behold. The Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save. Neither is ear heavy that it cannot heal, but your iniquities are sins. Your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid His face from you. And He would use that verse and say, It's your sin. Sin's got to be judged. And sure, God has all of these things, but He won't do it for you, you sorry, worthless thing. (laughs) And you know what? Under the Old Testament, that was true because sin hadn't been judged. But in the New Covenant, sin has been judged in Jesus. (laughs) And God would be unjust to treat you and punish you for your sins because he's already punished Jesus. That would be double jeopardy. There is a complete difference revelation of God in the new covenant than there is under the old covenant, and sad to say, the vast majority of Christianity is still living under the old covenant and afraid that God's going to get them and not understanding that God placed all of his wrath, not some of it, but all of it, upon Jesus. And your sins, past, present, and even sins that you haven't committed yet, have already been paid for. Amen. Yeah. Now that bless some of you, some of you that terrifies <laughs> like, man, well then why live holy if my sins have already been paid for? That, that shows you how little, you know, God, we don't live holy in order to appease an angry God. We live holy because we are so thankful for what he's already done that man, we want to give our lives and serve him. Love should be the motivation, but most Christians are serving God out of fear because God has been misrepresented and they do not understand the true nature and character of God. And I go back to a scripture I used in the very beginning, Galatians 5, 6, faith works by love. If you don't understand how much God loves you, if you're serving him out of fear, then you aren't really in faith. Faith works by love. If your faith is working by fear, it's not true faith. And this is sad to say, where a lot of Christians find themselves, they don't truly know God. My own personal testimony, I got born again when I was eight years old, but I was raised under this concept that God is an angry God. My dad died when I was 12 years old. I was told by the pastor of the church that God needed him in heaven more than we needed him and that this was God that killed my dad. And you know what? I was just so indoctrinated that I didn't even question that. I figured if he's God, he's God and I'm not and I kept serving him. But I became to where I was trying to earn the favor of God. I was trying to appease God and I was always doing something. I fasted, I prayed, I have never. You know, when I was a kid, I never went a day without studying the Bible from the time I was old enough to read the Bible. I have prayed every day of my life. I would fast and pray when I was in grade school, high school. I have sought God my entire life and seen numbers of people around me die sick. I didn't have any power in my life. If I would have been arrested for being a Christian, there wouldn't have been enough evidence to convict me. I had no power, no joy, no peace in my life. And yet, I was doing all of these things, but I was doing these things trying to appease God and always wondering, God, is it enough? Is it enough? And what changed my life was March the 23rd, 1968. 43 years ago, I had an encounter, and God just poured His love out in my life after He had shown me what an absolute hypocrite I was. (laughs) For the first time in my life, I came to realize that I was a zero with the rim knocked off, I was nothing. And at my time of realizing God, I am, I I was proud of myself. I was a religious Pharisee. But when I finally realized how hypocritical I was is when the love of God that I'd been trying to earn by being good. All of a sudden, when I finally ran up a white flag and surrendered and said, God, I'm not good. Forgive me. Then is when I experienced this love. And for four and a half months, I was caught up in the presence of God. And I was just gone and it changed my life. And it was wonderful, but it was confusing at the same time because I couldn't figure out what did I do to deserve this? What did I do to make this happen? And then after the emotion left, I couldn't figure out what I did to make it leave. And how do I get it back? And I panicked. And I began to start studying the word. And that's when God started revealing some of these things to me. But I learned that God is not this angry God God is not demanding perfection of you because you can't do it. And God is not the one that killed my dad. God is not the one that killed my grandmother who basically raised me. God is not the one who killed all of these people that I was around. God is not the author of your problem. God is not the one who makes you sick. He doesn't allow problems in your life. This isn't God punishing you. God is not in heaven with his arms folded, saying, unless you pray a little harder, unless you try a little more, until you get holier, I will not move in your life. He's been represented that way, but that is absolutely incorrect. And I might as well just say this and blow the lid off of things and praise God. If you come back, you're going to be hardcore. that God is not sovereign the way that he is talked about being sovereign. I will agree that God is sovereign. If you use a dictionary definition of the word sovereign, the word sovereign means first in rank order or authority. God is sovereign. He's first. He's the top of the food chain. Nobody has more power and authority than God. I'll agree with that 100%. Also, the word sovereign means independent, such as the United States is a sovereign nation. That means we broke away from Great Britain and we no longer have somebody else dictate us. We control ourselves and have our own constitution. God is sovereign if you want to say that he's independent. There's nobody that can make God do anything. If you want to use those definitions of sovereign, then I'll agree, God is sovereign. But if you use a a definition that isn't even in the dictionary, it's just religious And say that God controls everything and nothing happens but what it is His will. That is not a scriptural truth. God is not sovereign in that sense. Matter of fact, did you know the word sovereign really had no traction until the NIV translation came along and it took the word Almighty God, Lord God Almighty, a number of different ways it's translated in the King James And they put in thousands of times, sovereign Lord. And they're the ones that popularized this. It's an evangelical concept that God controls everything and that nothing happens without God's permission. So therefore, if you're sick, if you're poor, if you're divorced, if you're in tragedy, if you're depressed, God had to either cause it or allow it. And that is an ungodly, unscriptural concept of God. If you really believe that... And I can guarantee you out of this many people, there's people sitting right here that have just embraced this and have never even heard it challenged ever, have never heard anybody say something against this. And you may be boiling hot right now. And I've had people get mad at me and come against me and say, that's of the devil. How dare you say that about God? That's just nothing but of the devil. And I turn around and say, wait a minute, if God is sovereign, I couldn't have said this if it wasn't God's will, if he didn't cause me to say it. <laughs> and I've had people who sit there and say, God controls everything that say, you aren't going to be in control by God. That's the devil. <laughs> they violate their own doctrine. <laughs> Look, either God controls everything or he doesn't. I mean, where do you draw the line? Is it just up to you to just, depending on how you feel, say, oh, well, God let this happen, but no, this over here isn't God. Either God is sovereign in the religious sense of the world and he controls everything and makes it happen, or he isn't sovereign. And he's given us the ability to choose and we establish things that happen here on this earth. It's one of the two, but it's not a combination of the two based on how you feel at the moment. I really believe that a lot of people preach the sovereignty of God. Some people out of ignorance because they've been taught this and they just don't ever challenge it. But there's a lot of people that preach the sovereignty of God because it's a convenient truth and it's a way to take responsibility or blame away from yourself. And like, for instance, you can just pray for a person and say, be healed. And then, well, God's sovereign. And if you get well, it must've been God. And if you don't, it's not God. It, God must want you to be learning something. Maybe he's using this to teach you something. And it's a cop-out. That's right, is. That's right. It's a cop-out. It's an easy way to say, well, we don't know why God does some of these things, you know. God just moves sovereignly and controls things. That is wrong. And if you say that, you are going to turn a lot of people off to God because of the tragedy and the terrible things happening in this world that you are blaming God for. That's right. That's right. You know, when I was told that God killed my father, I didn't rebel, but I could give you another name. I won't mention the name, but a person who every person in here would recognize this person's name. They're one of the leaders in the United States of America. And at a young age, this guy was very close to his sister. She died of some incurable disease and the Presbyterian church came and said, God killed your sister. And because of this, this guy rebelled at God and said, if there is a God, I hate him. And he has spent his entire life and every one of you know him and are influenced by him. He owns some of the largest Christian networks in the world. And he is out to influence people against Christianity. He puts on a lot of ungodly things because somebody blamed God for the death of his sister and he rebelled and went the other way. There are millions of people that have done that because God has been misrepresented and lied about, and God is not the one causing problems in your life. There's a lot of people who believe God exists, but they believe that he's this harsh God that's punishing them and causing problems in their life. We even put it in our contracts, an act of God you are insured for this and this, but not acts of God. And they blame God for the tornadoes and the hurricanes and the earthquakes and the tsunamis. Christians are the ones that, well, I guarantee you, when 9 11 when happened, nearly every Christian, I, can, I really can't think of a single Christian leader that didn't come up and say, This was the judgment of God on America. That is not the judgment of God on America. God judged Jesus. And he's not judging us for our sins. Somebody in the Old Testament—well, in the Old Testament before Jesus was judged—yes, people did reap what they sow and they got judged for their sins. But in the New Testament, God judged Jesus, and you aren't being punished for your sins. God is not judging America, and he's not going to judge America. Does that mean that America's safe? No, because we're in the process of destroying ourselves. As we walk away from God, we are giving Satan inroad, And Satan comes to steal, kill, and to destroy. And America needs a revival and needs to turn to God. God's our only hope. But God's not the one that brought 9-11. God's not the one that brought Hurricane Katrina. God's not the one that's... If God was the one that did this, and this was the judgment of God, why would he stop with New Orleans? What makes Orlando better than New Orleans? I guarantee you when God starts judging, and there is a judgment revealed in the book of Revelation, but when God's judgment starts, nobody's going to have to wonder. Amen. Everybody's going to know. There's not going to be any question about it. God is not the one that's doing all of these negative things to us. God is a good God. He is not the author of our problems. Look over here in James chapter one. Let me just share some scriptures. And again, as I said, I could preach on this for day after day after day, because there's so much confusion in this area. And so I'm not going to be answering everybody's questions, but hopefully I'll stir you up. If nothing else, just to hear one person in your life say, God did not sovereignly cause your life to be a mess. Amen. Hopefully, that'll help you to arrive at the truth, just to hear somebody counter that. In James chapter 1, verse 1, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Again, I'm going to force myself not to go into depth on this, but let me just say that this is not saying God sends trouble to make you patient. This has been taught, probably every person in here, if you've gone to church has heard this, that if you pray for patience, you're praying for trouble because God is going to send you trouble and that's the way you become patient. That is not true. That is not what this verse is saying. It says... It says tribulation works patience. It exercises patience. But patience, according to Galatians 5, and 23, is a fruit of the Spirit. According to Romans chapter 15, verse 3, it says we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. Is that the right way? Look at this. Uh, Romans chapter 15, verse 3. Lori, put that up there. So I won't have to turn it over there. Well, go to verse 4. I was close. It says, uh, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. Patience comes through Scripture. You know, here's another. I'm not going to take time to say this, but you, you listen to this and you go study it out on your own. This is really good. Patience is nothing but faith over a prolonged period of time. Faith is, uh, patience is faith with endurance. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Patience comes through the word of God is what these verses are saying. Tribulations don't make you patient. If tribulation makes you patient, then the people who've suffered the most would be the most patient. That is not true. But see, again, people have this mind and it's an, it's an attempt to have to deal with things and say, I have no responsibility here. God controls everything. That if a child is born with some sickness, this was God's will. I will say this, that it doesn't mean that you're a sinner just because your child is born with some problem. That doesn't. It's not punishment. It's not God punishing you. I'm not saying that, but you know what? It is a fallen world. It is sin that causes things to happen. There are natural things going on. When I was a kid, some of you are old enough to remember this, but they gave this drug... I'm not sure I can pronounce the name, but it's thialinamide and pregnant women took it. And it turned out that kids were born with arms that were only like a foot long. I actually knew some of those kids. You know what? That wasn't God that caused that. It wasn't the devil that caused it directly. It's the, it's mankind put things in your body that caused birth defects Radiation, like what's happening in Japan, causes birth defects. There are natural things that cause natural deals. But instead of saying that, you know, it's just natural or it's sin or it's a, the product of a fallen world, people just put it off as, well, God caused these children to be born this way. God is not the one making deformed and retarded babies. And excuse me, if that offends people, I don't know what else to call it. There's all these new names for it, but people that have had babies, they they said their baby was retarded. And that's what I called them. If that's not the right name translate, I don't mean anything bad by it, but I'm just saying that have mental problems, developmental problems or whatever's going on. God, isn't the one that causes those kind of things. God doesn't do that. There's natural reasons. It could be that, you know, if a person is out shooting up dope and living in sin, then your sin could be a direct result of how these kind of things happen. It is true that sometimes we give Satan direct, uh, inroad into our life. For instance, if you're an alcoholic, you're going to have cirrhosis of the liver, or you're going to open yourself up to that. You're going to have physical, emotional problems. If you share needles, you can get diseases through that. If you are Uh, immoral. You can come down with sexually transmitted diseases and other things. And sometimes you just open up the door and your sin is a direct inroad of Satan into your life. But other times you just experience things because we live in a fallen world. Amen. Sometimes a dog will bite you and it's not the devil and it's not your sin. It's just, that's a fallen animal and it'll bite you. Amen. (laughs) But everybody wants to blame God because somehow or another that makes us feel that, oh, there was some redemptive purpose in this. And what it does, the Bible says in James chapter four, verse seven, it says, submit yourselves therefore unto God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. That verse makes it crystal clear. Some things are of God. You yield to them. You submit to them. Some things are of the devil and you resist them. You fight against them. The word resist means to actively fight against. And if you're saying, well, God, I don't know why you did this to me, but if it's your will, help me. That's not fighting against the devil. You got to resist the devil. You can't resist the devil if you think God has a part in you suffering. You know, if you were going to be honest, people who believe that God sovereignly controls everything and you couldn't get sick without it being God's will, so therefore God's trying to teach you something or He's punishing you or He sent it to make you a better person or whatever the religious concept is. If you really believe that, then you're a hypocrite to go to the doctor and take medication because you're trying to get out of God's will. If God gave it to you, if God allowed it, why don't you allow it to run its full course? Why don't you let it have its full course? You're, tr- you're rebelling at God. That's inconsistent. If you're going to believe it, believe it. If God's one has made your life miserable, if God's one has given you depression... And I know why people do this because you know what? It takes all responsibility away from you. You can lay in front of the TV, be a couch potato, watch as the stomach turns, take no responsibility for your life. You don't have to seek God. You don't have to do anything right in case, sirrah, sirrah, whatever will be, will be. It was God's will that your life is messed up. It was God's will that all these things happen. It's a cop out. Forgive me for being brutally honest. But that's absolutely true. And I know there are some of you right now that it's like I'm just stripping all of your defenses from you. The way that you've adjusted to the hurts and the pains in your life is to say, well, I don't know why, maybe, maybe God needed this person in heaven more than we needed him here on the earth. Give me a break. What does God need your loved one in heaven for? He wants us to be living a victorious life right here and glorifying him. I've heard people before say, well, God knew that this child was going to grow up and rebel and maybe go into alcoholism or into adultery or murder or steal. And so God just let them die as a baby. That's like saying, well, God knew that they were going to do something wrong. So he just killed them. Mercy, the weirdness that people come up with. That's true. (laughs) He says that would be everybody. None of us would be alive if he knew we were going to do something wrong and he just killed us. Brothers and sisters, that's not true. This isn't saying God gives you trouble. It says that faith or patience is something that comes through the word of God. But as you resist the devil and fight against these things, you become stronger in your faith. I don't have an argument with that, but don't blame God for that problem. That's like when I was drafted, I was trained how to fight as a soldier. And then when I got to Vietnam, did you know when you started putting it into practice, when your life was on the line, when you were being shot at, all of that training, you put it to practice and all of a sudden you became a much better soldier. People who only had been taught in a class how to be a soldier were dangerous. We used to make fun of them. Matter of fact, we got far away from those people because they were dangerous. I remember one night on Bunker Guard that we had a new guy come in and we were all sitting around eating our sea rations And um, this guy said, man, can I just throw a hand grenade? And we said, you can throw as many hand grenades as you want. He says, you mean I can shoot my weapon here? He says, you can shoot your weapon all you want. You can shoot grenade launchers. This guy was just so thrilled that he says, I'm going to throw a hand grenade. So we said, you can throw a hand grenade if you want to. So anyway, we were all sitting around eating, and they, I, I was trained with the hand grenades that they used in Korea. They were the pineapple hand grenade, and they didn't have a safety on them. Then they came out with new hand grenades that are like a baseball, and it had a safety on it. I'd never seen one of those. And they had some of those new hand grenades in this box of hand grenades, and so this guy... He, he was going to throw a hand grenade and he got that pin and started pulling it and it stuck. And so he went uh, uh, like this and he uh, pulled that thing loose and the hand grenade rolled out of his hand right down in between my feet. And man, I just threw my food on the ground. I jumped over this rock. I was laying on the ground behind this rock. And it never went off. And we all got up and looked to see what was happening and found out it was this new hand grenade that had a safety on We took the safety off and threw it. But you know what? That was an example of somebody who had been taught, but they didn't know what they were doing. They're dangerous. And so you become a better soldier once you get over there and start actually doing it. But you know what? It's true that being in battle will make you a better soldier. But does that mean that you go out and embrace your enemy? Oh, I'm going to be so much better after you come against me. If you get up and start trying to embrace your enemy, you aren't going to be a better soldier. You're going to be dead. (laughs) It is true that a soldier gets better in battle, but you don't embrace the enemy as sent by your commander in chief to make you a better soldier. No, that's the enemy and you fight them. You resist them. Christians have been taught to embrace their problems. Oh, God gave you this sickness. God's the one that caused this person to die. God's the one that caused this hurt and heartache in your life because it's going to make you a better person. Sure, you can learn something. You can go beat your head up against this wall and learn that it's not good. It it feels better (laughs) not to do it. Or you can take my word for it and not ever have to suffer the pain and, and, you know, you'll be better off for it. You learn things through the word of God, but as you go through life and Satan fights you, the more you use what God has given you, you're going to be stronger. You're going to have great testimonies, but don't embrace your sickness and disease. We had been taught to embrace these things that are from the devil. And the Bible says you have to resist the devil. You have to learn what's of God. God is a good God. You can read De- Deuteronomy chapter 28 verses one through 15 says, these are the blessings Sickness is not a blessing. It was listed as a curse. It was a blessing to be well. It's a blessing to be prosperous. It's a blessing to have your ground produced, to have rain in the right season, to not cast your young, not to have uh, miscarriages. It's a blessing to be fruitful and be able to have children and and all people will see that you're called by the name of the Lord. And all of these things are blessings. And then verses uh, 15 through 68 list the curses. And it's over on this side. Curse, it, uh, sickness is a curse. Blasting is a curse, which is damaging winds. Mildew is a curse. The itch is a curse. Being afraid is a curse. And on and on you go. And just, I mean, it's like if you had a big uh, piece of paper up here, and on one side you write blessings, on this side you write curses, and then draw a line down the middle. Deuteronomy twenty-eight tells you what God says is good. Being well is good. The church today is saying, no, being sick is good. God gave you this sickness to teach you something. It's actually the blessing of God. Oh, no. No way. There's people saying that. There's a person that if I was to mention their name, I'm not going to mention their name because I'm not against them. I don't think that everybody who believes contrary to this is a bad person. Some people just honestly are deceived in this area and hadn't seen it. But there's a person who's a quadriplegic and blames God... For doing it, says God made them that way, because when they got on their hospital bed and the only way they could look was up, then they got serious with God, and their life is turned around. They lead lots of people to the Lord, they glorify God, there's good things that come out of it, and so they blame God for making them quadriplegic. But if you go back and, and read the story, when this person was a teenager, they dove into a pool where there were signs that says, "Do not dive." They rebelled at authority. They didn't follow the rules. They hit a rock. They broke their neck. God did not break their neck and cause them to be quadriplegic to teach them something. But when they got flat of their back, then they cried out to God. They quit running. They got serious and they're better off for it. No argument. But God didn't do it to them. And they're teaching people that no, God did this to me. This was God's will for me. It is not God's will for you. God is not the one that's making you sick. God is not doing these things in your life. God is a good God. He is not the source of your problems. My oldest son, Joshua, when he was one year old, I was loading lumber on this big old semi truck, and we were in a lumber yard that wasn't paved. It was dirt. And it was in Texas. It was in the summer. It was hot. And he had been playing and. He was sweaty and then it came time for his nap. He was one year old and he wanted to lay down in this dirt and take a nap. And I knew that Jamie wouldn't like that. He would be caked with dirt. So I finally rolled down the window of this semi, it was up over my head and put him in the cab of that semi and told him to lay down and take a nap. He'd been wanting to get into that truck all day long. So when I put him in that truck, he revived and he was ready now to keep playing. And he started leaning out of that window and waving at me in the side mirror and doing all kinds of things. And I told him no. And I told him to lay down. He could fall and hurt himself. He didn't obey me. Finally, I spanked him. And I said, now you need to lay down or you're going to hurt yourself. He, he leaned out of that window, fell out, hit his eye on the running board and landed on his head on that ground. And hurt himself. And I went up and grabbed him and started praying over him. When he finally quit crying, I told him, I said, Joshua, this is what I told you. You should have obeyed me. If you would have obeyed me, this wouldn't have happened. And I put him back in the truck and he went to sleep this time. But you know, if he would have been like a Christian, he would have said, oh, my dad, he would have gone out to all of his friends. My dad is such a wonderful guy that he pushed me out of that truck. He, he got me a black eye. He nearly broke my neck to teach me something. I didn't do it. If he would have thought that they would have come and gotten me. That would have been child abuse. I did not do it. I did everything within my control to stop him. But it was his rebellion and ignorance or, or uh, ignoring what I said that caused that problem to happen. But when he finally, when I got his attention, when he was hurting, he learned something through it. But I didn't do that to him. God can use anything in your life. If you won't listen to him, go out here and commit uh, sexually trans, uh, sexual sins. Get AIDS. And then all of a sudden, when you're faced with death, say, oh God, and you know what? He'll teach you something. You can learn that you shouldn't have been doing it. That's right. And you can even get healed of it. But God didn't do that to you to bring you to the end of yourself. Uh, that's right. God doesn't cause these things. That's right. A guy who I follow on television all around the world, I won't mention his name. He had, two, he had a woman on his program who this woman and her daughter were abducted at gunpoint and taken out into a field and raped. And then he laid both of them naked on the ground, on their stomach, shot them in the back of the head, killed the daughter. The mother was uh, had brain damage, but she, was, uh, she lived through it. And she was on this man's program talking about that all things work together for good that God did this to them because it's what turned her life around and made her start loving God and appreciating God. And I tell you, it was all I could do to keep from destroying my television set. I was so mad. They were blaming that God caused a man to abduct two women, rape them, kill one of them, try to kill the other one, and they blamed God for doing it. Many of you in here say, oh, I don't believe God did that but you believe God does lesser evil things. Either God is good or he's bad, but he's not a mixture of the two. You can't just conveniently say, oh, well, I don't believe God does that, but I believe God would cause the planes to fly into the World Trade Center and kill thousands of people, and that was God that did that. It's not. Look at this verse. You know, I never even got where I was headed. Let me just read this real quickly in James chapter one. Here's where I was wanting to go. In James chapter one, verse 13, let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God for God cannot be tempted with evil. Neither tempteth he any man. Let no man say when I am tempted, when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. And yet we have people today saying God's the one that put this trial in my life. God's the one that's causing this. And the Bible says, don't ever say that. And people say it all the time. You know, one of the signs of the end time in uh, Isaiah chapter 5 verse 20 is it says people will call evil good and good evil. And that's not only happening in our world where they're causing, where they're calling everything that is perverse and ungodly good. But you know, the church is calling evil good, sickness, poverty, sorrow, travail, hurt, pain. This is God. This is good. Embrace it. And they're calling good. When somebody gets healed, like Mercy Santos, Al Burke right here, or the Trover baby over here or something. You know, we had Al give his testimony in Houston and he stood up and testified about what a miracle it was. And three people walked up to him and says, you're a liar. God doesn't do that today. They, and they were all religious people that had been taught that God doesn't heal today. Healing is of the devil. Sickness is of God. <laughs> You talk about calling evil, good and good evil. i tell you, this really gets next to me because I've seen people die because of this very thing. I've seen people that actually prayed for leukemia because they were told that that's God's way of humbling you and using you. And they prayed for it and they died of leukemia because of religion. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. God is not the one that's put problems in your life. God has ordained good for you and not evil. Look in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And again, these verses that I'm using, like James chapter one, it doesn't say that trouble causes you to be strong in patience. It's patience comes from God. You just have to use it. You have to start using what God gave you. This, there isn't anything wrong with James chapter one, but the way religion has taken it has perverted this and has made a lot of people get to where they're afraid to ask God for patience because they think God is going to give you trouble. That is not true. Here's another passage of scripture that there's nothing wrong with this scripture. It's a great scripture, but the way that it's used is bad. In Romans chapter eight and in verse 28, it says, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God to them who are the called according to his purpose. Nearly every person in here has heard somebody take this and say, well, all things work together for good. This You know, the doctor says, I'm going to die, but all things work together for good. And so, you know, this couldn't have happened if God didn't allow it. God might not have caused it, but he had to at least permit it. That is not true. God doesn't have a desk where every bad thing that happens in the world has to cross his desk and he stamps approved or disapproved. He does not give his approval to it. He turned the earth over to us. And he said, you rule it, you subdue it. In Psalms chapter 82, verse 6, I believe it, or I'm not sure the exact reference on that, but anyway, it says, you are gods. Jesus quoted that verse. He made us like a God, a ruler over this, over this world. And he says, you control it. And we turned it over to the devil. We're the ones that started death. The Lord told us, don't eat of that tree because the day that you eat of it, you're going to die. We're the ones that introduced death. And yet I hear people at funerals all the time saying, well, we know that their number was up. Their time must have been up. No, the Bible says that every person, this is Moses speaking in Psalms chapter 90, the days of a man's life shall be threescore years and 10. And if by reason of strength, they be 80, then is their, their days are still labor and travail. Moses is the one that wrote that. And he showed that it wasn't just like a day circled on the calendar that your numbers up because you can by strength go longer. Moses himself lived to be 120 years old. The man who wrote that Deuteronomy chapter 34, verse seven, that he was 120 years old and his eye was not dimmed nor his natural force abated. So Moses is the one that wrote this. You aren't limited to 70 years. That was saying God has allotted us 70 years. He has given us that as a minimum. If you die before that, It's not God that took you. It's sickness that took you, an accident that took you. You can kill yourself and commit suicide. God doesn't control those things. God isn't the one who, if a person dies, it's always God that causes it. Thank you for that thunderous silence. (laughs) Because this is how most people adjust. It's how they defend themselves. They say, well, God must have known better. Maybe God didn't want this child to grow up and experience any difficulty. So he just killed him. <laughs> Boy, this does not say that God causes everything. This just says God can work things together for good. And he puts some qualifications on it. It starts by saying, and we know the word and is a conjunction. And that means it links it to the previous verses in verse 26 It says that um, likewise the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And if you study this out in the Greek, I'm not going to take time to do this, but the word that's used there for helpeth, it's a word, I'm not sure I could pronounce it. It's something like parakletos. It's a compound word and it means that he takes hold together with us. In other words, the Holy Spirit doesn't intercede for you and it just automatically works. It's not you praying and it works. But when you start resisting and interceding and believing God, then the Holy Spirit takes hold together with you. When you start, the Holy Spirit will supernaturally energize it. And only for those people who are interceding and resisting the devil and believing God for something does things work together for good. If you take it out of context and omit that first word in this verse, it changes everything. This is not just saying that everything works together for good. It's saying for those who are operating in this intercession, energized by the power of the Holy Spirit, then anything that happens in your life, God can work it together for good. You know, our son died. He was dead for five hours and we stood and believed God and God raised him from the dead and there is no brain damage and it's worked together for good. And I've given testimony all around the world about the miraculous power of God, but God didn't kill my son. God didn't make that happen. But you know what? Because we stood and believed God and because we know how to intercede and the Holy Spirit helped and took together, stood together with us in our intercessions, we saw a miracle happen. And I have rubbed the devil's nose in it ever since. Amen. 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 Praise God. Not only is our son alive, but with uh, about a year later, we had a granddaughter born that wouldn't be here if my son hadn't come back to life. God worked it together for good, but he didn't cause it. And if I would have thought that he did and said, oh God, I wonder why you've done this. Whatever your will, here I am. Just have at us. My son would be dead and I wouldn't have a granddaughter. It was because I knew the truth and I resisted that thing and fought against it. And the Holy Spirit took together with our intercession. And because of that, our son is alive today. Amen or oh me. So it starts with, and we know linked on that intercession. And then it says that it works together for good to them who love God. Did you know not? Not everybody loves God. This doesn't work together for just everybody. It's for those who love God. I could spend a lot of time defining that, but it's certainly different than what some people call loving God. This is talking about people who truly love God and are committed to God. If you aren't seeking God, All things don't work together for good. This isn't saying that everything works together for good. It doesn't say that God only allows things because everything works together for good. Not everything does work together for good. Lots of bad things happen that hurt people and turn them away from the Lord because they haven't been interceding. The Holy Spirit hasn't stood with them. They don't love God. I was doing music one time at a full gospel businessmen's meeting and a guy, the speaker, came in and he had just done a funeral that day. And it was from two teenagers. And he he got up and preached on Romans 8, that, you know, God is sovereign and that God had a purpose in these two teenagers dying. And as I quizzed him, you know what it was? They were both drunk, doing dope. They mixed dope and alcohol driving on a slick street, rain soaked street. And they were going too fast and didn't make a corner and got off the road and hit a telephone pole and it killed him. And he says, all things work together for good. They weren't seeking God. They weren't interceding. The Holy Spirit didn't take hold together with them. They didn't love God. This was the devil that snuffed out two lives through getting them into that. And that was not of God. God did not do that. And some people just can't have because you're saying, well, the tragedy then it was, somebody fell short. Something happened that shouldn't have been. God isn't in control of everything. And some people are so insecure that they can't handle that. And they just like to say, well, God, you know, he's got big shoulders. Everything's got a purpose. God raised Hitler up, killed 6 million Jews. God raised Stalin up and killed 12 million people in Russia. And God sovereignly does all of this. God had a plan. There was a purpose. No, that was pure evil. It was demonic. And it was God's people who interceded and prayed that caused the intervention and kept us from all speaking German today. That's right. God did intervene. And you know what? I'm sure that there's some good that came out of it someplace. But I guarantee you, God didn't do that. For you to just submit to things that are clearly over here on this side of a curse, not the blessing, is wrong. And yet God has been misrepresented. And because of this, people have an impression of God as being this harsh God that kills babies, that causes divorce, devastation, makes you an alcoholic, makes you a drunk. It's God's will. And if that's the way you believe, well, then what is the purpose? Why come out on a Thursday night and listen to a hick from Texas? Man, just go eat and drink and be merry because God's will is going to come to pass anyway. Why study the word? Why pray? Why do anything? This defies logic. Only religious people could believe this way. It isn't logical. It's just a statement of faith. We've been taught it and numb to it. This is not saying that God causes the problem. It just says that he can work it together for good. You have to intercede and you have to love God. And then it says to them who are the called according to his purpose. Over in 1 John chapter 3, I believe it's verse 8 or verse 9. It says, for this purpose was the son of God manifest that he might destroy the works of the devil. Jesus was manifest to destroy the works of the devil. That's his purpose. So when it says it works together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. That's those who are out to destroy the works of the devil. Those who are resisting the devil. If you are embracing the devil, embracing your problems and blaming God for it, you aren't resisting. You're embracing. You are yielding to it. And that's what's allowing Satan to come into your life. You got to recognize that God does not control everything. God does not make all of the evil in this world. People think God puts a certain person in office and it's just God's will that they be there. I guarantee you people get elected because their votes are bought. They're promised stuff. They're lied and they're deceived. There's people that put people in office for who knows whatever reason they do what they do. God doesn't control every single thing like that. God doesn't make all of the problems in our world. Now, does this mean that things are out of control? No, God is so awesome that regardless of what man does, it's just gonna, he, he can work together for his good. Like for instance, they, they came and killed Jesus. Jesus, God didn't make them kill Jesus, but Jesus just preached the truth and he knew that they would hate the truth and come against him and he prophesied what they do and they played right into his hand and God used it and brought salvation through all of this. But those people are completely responsible for what they did. God didn't make them do that against their will. God is going to take all of the perversion of man and everything. He's going to laugh at us. He's going to get his will done. Everything's going to work out the way he wants it. It's like a person who's a chess player. Your opponent, whatever move they make, you can make it work out to your benefit. If they make this move, then you just take this plan of attack. God is such a mastermind that He can take our, all of the things that man does and work it together for good, but God doesn't cause this evil. That's right. Yeah. Amen. You know, I didn't even read that verse over in James chapter 1, but it goes on to say in James chapter 1 around verse 15, it says... Uh, every good and every perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. That means He never deviates from this. If it's good, it's God. If it's bad, it's the devil. And yet, many people are promoting all of the bad and saying, This is God. And because of it, they have an a skewed impression of God. There are people that are serving God out of absolute terror and fear, not out of love. The church is preaching that you pay your tithes or God's going to curse you with the curse. That's Malachi chapter 3, verse 8. I'll deal with this tomorrow and reconcile the harshness of the Old Testament with the grace and the mercy of the New Testament. But people will say that and God will curse you if you don't pay your tithes and God's going to do this and this and this. And you know what it is? They're actually making people believe in the Godfather instead of God the Father. (laughs) It's like you got to pay your hush money. you got to bribe him. God, I gave my 10%. You can't touch me this week. They send Guido around and break your legs if you don't pay up. If you don't pay up, God's going to put you in the hospital. Your, dish, your dishwasher is going to go out and he'll take that money from you. That is not true. God is not the one that's doing these negative things to you. And if you believe that, then you know what? It keeps God at arm's length because you're afraid of Him. You're afraid that if I don't do everything right, maybe he's going to let my child die. Maybe God's going to let my marriage fail because I haven't been the person I should be. The reason I'm not healed is because I haven't been fasting and praying. And you relate it all based on you instead of what Jesus did for you. And this is where Satan is stopping us. You know, the people that are here, this is Thursday night. We've got storms out there. You're fanatics to be here. You're a stark raving mad fanatic. Either you're a fanatic or you were drugged here by a fanatic. You believe that God exists. And you believe that God does miracles, or you'd be at the first church of the frigid air you believe in miracles. When I talk about my son being raised from the dead, most of you believe that. And if somebody was to die in here tonight, and if I said, praise God, I've seen people raised from the dead. We'll just pray for him and get this person raised from the dead. Most of you'd be right there with me. Amen, brother. Go for it. But you know where I could lose the vast majority of you? I say, all right, if you believe it, you come up here and pray for him. And all of a sudden, some of you who are really excited to think that, man, I'm going to pray for him, and you believe God can do it. When I say you do it, your faith turns to fear. Your excitement turns to dread. What happened? What's the difference? It's because you think God uses us based on our holiness and goodness. And he only works through people that are holy. And you just don't know me very well. If you knew me as well as you know you, you wouldn't have any more faith in my prayers than you got in your prayers. (laughs) But see, we think preachers, oh no, you've been fasting and praying all day and you're just holy, but you know you and you know that you aren't doing everything you should and your own conscience condemns you because you have a wrong impression of God and how he is. And I'm telling you that God's never had anybody qualified working for him yet. I am not qualified. I don't get prayers answered because I deserve it, but because I have learned to be strong in the grace that is in the Lord Jesus Christ and not in myself. And this comes from me understanding who God really is. Tomorrow morning, I'm gonna really try and amplify on how that he placed all of his wrath and justice and punishment on Jesus, and he's not punishing us. And because I've learned this now, I don't, it doesn't free me to go live in sin but it frees me from the dominion of sin and any sense of failure and unworthiness that I have. And I'm quick to recognize the goodness of God and that God wants you well more than I want you well, more than you want to be well. See, prior to this understanding, I actually used to submit to sickness and disease thinking it was God. You know, right when Jamie and I were getting married, I'll quit with this. I know I need to quit, but I got a lot to say. But let me give you this one last testimony that when Jamie and I were getting married, I had had these two dreams and I'm a vivid dreamer. They, I've read articles. They call it a, a lucid dreamer. I dream in color. I can start and stop my dream. I can go to bed and decide what I want to dream. I can stop my dream in the middle of the dream and change it if I don't like it. <laughs> I can, I, it's just amazing. I can, I dream constantly. And, uh, anyway, right before Jamie and I got married, I had two dreams that this demonic thing had attacked me and I woke up and just shook it off and said, well, man, it's just a dream. And I went into the bathroom and I was actually bleeding. I had had something demonic attack me and they were bad dreams with bad consequences. And I just said, that's of the devil. And I rebuked them. Well, about a month after those two dreams, I was 300 and something miles away from where I live, walked into a Dairy Queen and a woman I'd never seen in my life walked up and said, God speaks once, yea, twice, in dreams of the night, in visions of the night when deep sleep falls upon men. You thought those dreams were of the devil, but they're from God. And man, all the hair on the back of my neck stood up. <laughs> And I thought, my God, these can't be from, but I I was brand new. I didn't know very much. And I was taught that God sovereignly controls everything and it was supernatural. And so I began to start exploring, was this God speaking to me? And then we had a man come to our church that taught a message entitled Satan is God's messenger boy. Nothing happens, but what God allows it. If the devil is doing something to you, he's on a leash and God let him go do that. And so ultimately God's responsible. And he began to start talking about this and he, he had eight incurable diseases in his body and he was supposed to be dead, but he was alive. And he was saying that God's the one that gave him this to break him and to make him a greater Christian and stuff. And he heard about these dreams and about this prophecy of this woman. And so he jumped on it and he all week long had been telling me that God was gonna make me into a vegetative state. And for eight years, I was gonna be in a coma and that God was going to do this to make me a greater Christian. And I'd come out strong as the apostle Paul and God was going to use me. And I didn't know any better. And I said, well, if that's God's will, I'll accept it. And Jamie and I were just about to get married. I went for my uh, physical to get a marriage license. Turned out I had uh, what they call yellow jaundice and Anyway, that's usually not life threatening, but you have to lay flat of your back for like six weeks. I was going to get married. I poured cement for a living. I wasn't about to lay flat of my back. So I went and got prayer from the church I went to, but I just decided that, you know, maybe this is the way I'm going to be a human vegetable because if you continue to do it, you could get sick, you could die, you could go into a coma, and I figured this is the way it was going to come to pass. And I just kept working. And then this guy comes along, and started prophesying that you're going to be in this vegetative state. And Jamie and I were out to eat with him and maybe 10, 15 people from the church. And this guy was sitting across the street, just pouring it on. You're going to be in this coma. Yeah, and all of these things. And I was just sitting there crying. And if this is God's will, I'll accept it. And I was yielding to this stuff. And I was that close, that close. But you know, the devil... He had me on the ropes. If he had stopped there, he'd have had me. But he just always, he's an egotist. He just, he's an extremist, everything he does. And so he just pushed me a little bit further. I didn't know much, but this guy began to tell me, he says, the worst part about me having these diseases all of these years is that God told me I'm on a fast from the Bible. I can't study the Bible. He closed the Bible to me. And the only time I ever opened the Bible is to preach. He says, but it's been eight years since I've read the Bible. And you know what? I didn't know much, but I knew that wasn't God. I knew that God would never tell me not to read the Bible or this guy. And I mean, I just stood up and I said, that's of the devil. I reject this stuff. I renounce it in the name of Jesus. And I started resisting it. But I was that close to having Satan snuff my life out. And keep me from ever fulfilling what God called me to do, because of that sorry doctrine. In my estimation, which is the only estimation I have, that is the worst doctrine in the body of Christ is this doctrine that God is the one that's the source of all evil and all bad, and nothing can happen but what God allowed it. That causes people to just drop their defense to embrace whatever the devil does. And they pray and say, Lord, if it's your will, but it's passive, they take no authority. They don't resist and fight anything. And they just let the devil steamroll them. And I know what I've said has stripped you of some of your defenses. This may seem uncomfortable, but before I can edify you, I've got to terrify you. Amen. (laughs) I've got to tell you the truth and let you know that you've been deceived and that Satan has been taking advantage of. you. It's not always a direct sin that causes bad things, but we just live in a fallen world. Satan is going about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, and some of you have let Satan devour you. Not necessarily because you sinned and caused it, but you just have been passive thinking that if it's God, it'll leave. You ask God passively to heal you, to set you free, to intervene instead of taking your authority and making things happen. The Trovers over here, their baby was diagnosed as Down syndrome, but you know what? They knew the truth and they knew that God only gives good and perfect gifts and he does not cause Down syndrome. And they stood and they believed and saw their baby healed of Down syndrome. You'll be able to see him in the morning. Amen. Amen. Praise God. and that truth set people free. But how many people have had something diagnosed? It doesn't mean you're a bad person because something bad happens. It doesn't mean it's your sin. But how many people have had something diagnosed and they just didn't they they thought, "Well, I wonder why God did this." And they allow things to go on and they don't take their authority and they don't fight and they don't resist. And you know what? If you go when I teach this, there's people that get mad because they say, that you're going to get people's hopes up, people are going to start believing for God's best and somebody's going to be disappointed. Somebody, it won't happen. Somebody will die. Somebody will still struggle and not be able to get out of their wheelchair or something won't happen. And you're going to make people feel uncomfortable. And you know what? I don't have a very good answer for that because it, it is true that we don't always see God's best come to pass. Sometimes we miss it. And I don't know all of the reasons. I haven't learned everything yet. I don't have an answer for everything yet, but I am absolutely convinced that it's not God that has caused you to fail. That's right. And if you think that it is, then when something doesn't work in your life, there's going to be bitterness and anger. And you feel like God lets you down. And when we sing songs about my faithful God and how great is our God, You may go through the motions, but in your heart, you're going to be thinking, you know, God failed me. It doesn't always work. Why did God let this happen? I tell you, I've had a lot of bad things happen in my life, but I know that every one of them, God didn't cause. It was either me. It was the devil. It was another person. It was something that I don't understand, but I have absolute 100% confidence that God has only been good to me. God's never done anything bad to me ever, ever There's been a lot of bad things happen, but it wasn't because of God. A lot of it happens because I just am stubborn or hard-headed or whatever, but God is not my problem. And if you don't believe that with all of your heart, then it's going to hinder you understanding the love of God for you. Faith works by love and it's going to hinder your faith and you're going to wind up being one of these people that just like a pinball... You just get propelled through life and just boing, boing, boing. You just bounce off things. You have no direction. You aren't setting a course. You aren't going somewhere. It's just circumstances. You're just bouncing off of this problem and into this problem and just hoping that you wind up in the right spot. I tell you, there is something better than that. I believe I am speaking from the heart of God tonight to tell you that he's been misrepresented. God is not the source of this world's problems. He can take whatever you've been through. I don't care how bad it is and work it together for good. If you will let the Holy Spirit intercede through you, if you will start loving and pursuing God, if you will resist the devil and get his purpose where you come to destroy the works of the devil, he can take whatever has happened. I don't care if you've been sick, if you've been poor, if you've been in jail, whatever has happened to you, he can take it and make it work together for good. But God didn't cause it. God didn't do it. He can work it together for good. You can have a testimony, but don't blame God for the test. He only gives the money. Amen. God's not the source of those tests. Praise God. We need to find out who God is. He's been misrepresented. And some of those things come because Old Testament, there was a different way God dealt with people because of a very good reason. I'm going to explain this tomorrow in the new covenant. We have a different covenant and there were things that God did under the old covenant. He would never do under the new covenant. Man, you need to get that understood. I know that to many of you, this is something that does not ring a bell ring true in your heart, but you need to get that understood. And I'll be dealing with that tomorrow. Amen. Amen. But God's a good God. He loves you. And God is not the source of your problems. Thank you, Jesus. Let's praise God that he's a good God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Father, we just thank you that you are a good God. Thank you for the truth. Thank you for Jesus and how he showed us your goodness. How that according to uh, Acts 10:38, you went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil, not oppressed of God, but oppressed of the devil. Thank you for Jesus revealing the Father to us. Thank you for this testimony. And thank you for sending us the Holy Spirit to confirm these things, to reveal unto us. And we receive that revelation tonight. I believe that people who have faltered in this area, who maybe have been vacillating back and forth, are people who have totally opposed this truth. Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit helps them to see that you are a good God. And Father, we just agree and we receive that. And I thank you, this is gonna make a difference in our life that it'll cause us to submit to that which is good and to resist the devil, to actively fight against the devil. Thank you, Father. We agree and receive it in Jesus' mighty name. You know, let me ask here tonight, if there's anybody who's not born again, There may be somebody here that you know that God exists. Everybody knows that God exists regardless of what they say. But maybe you felt like you could never live up to the standard. Maybe you thought, maybe you had confusion about God. You thought, man, how could I serve a God who does all of these things? Maybe tonight you got some clarity that would help you to receive Jesus as your personal Savior. I'd like to give you an opportunity to receive salvation tonight. And also, if you are born again But if you don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which includes many things, but it includes speaking in tongues. If you don't speak in tongues, you need to receive this baptism of the Holy Spirit because without it, you cannot retain and operate in what I'm talking about. You know what religion is? Religion is man's concept about God. It's not God's concept. It's man trying to figure things out. And it comes because they aren't inspired and directed by the Holy Spirit. You can't receive these truths that I've talked about without a revelation from the Holy Spirit. I can't argue you in this. It has to come by revelation. And that is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. You need to receive the Holy Spirit into your life, which accomplishes many things. But revelation is one of these gifts of the Spirit. Speaking in tongues is a powerful gift that will totally change your life. And I know that there's a lot of people here that saw me on television and because I am quiet and I don't scream and yell and spit and say glory to God, uh, you didn't realize I was baptized in the Holy Ghost. You didn't realize that I was a Pentecostal. You might've come here under false pretenses, but you know what? I am. I speak in tongues with the best of them. And I'm telling you, you need it. You need, you must have the Holy Spirit if you really want to prosper. Somebody says, do you believe I I can't go to heaven if I don't have the Holy Spirit? No, you can go to heaven. You can get there quicker if you don't have the Holy Spirit because you aren't going to have power and Satan will snuff your life out. You can go to heaven without the Holy Spirit, but why would you want to? And you need this baptism of the Holy Spirit. You need to speak in tongues. How many of you in here either need to be born again or you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit and this gift of speaking in tongues? Anybody here like that? If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. Just be real bold, and we want to pray with you and help you to receive. Thank you, Jesus. Isn't that great? You know, if you raised your hand, or if you were supposed to raise your hand but didn't do it, would you just get up out of your seat and come forward, and we want to pray with you and help you to receive the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. this is great. This will change your life. I tell you the baptism of the Holy Spirit changed my life more than being born again. Now being born again was the foundation. It was necessary, but really it's when the Holy Spirit came that I began to experience what God put in me through salvation. You know, if I could get you to do this, we're going to have people come up here and lay hands on you. So if you would, would you just spread out Instead of standing in front of me, spread out so that you don't stand behind each other because we're going to have people come lay hands on you and we want you to be able to to receive. We got a big room here so we can spread out. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. You know, before I can pray with you to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues. The Bible says that Jesus is the one who gives the Holy Spirit. So you have to receive the giver before you receive the gift. You have to be born again. So before you can receive this baptism of the Holy Spirit, you must be born again. Is there anybody down here who's not absolutely sure whether or not you've been born again? You know, we've now got two rows, so you can get in this second row, but let's leave room for people to come up. Is there anybody here who's not sure whether Jesus is your personal Savior? Maybe you believe He exists, but you have never personally committed your life to Him, and you don't know for sure that you've been changed. The Bible says that when that happens, you know you've passed from death unto life, and you know in yourself you have a witness. Is there anybody here who's not sure, and you need to pray first? and make Jesus your personal Savior and make sure that you're saved. Is there anybody here like that? If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. Here's one right here. Anybody else? If you aren't sure, you need to raise your hand. We can make sure. Anybody else? All the rest of you, born again. Here's another one. Are you sure? Some people think, well, I believe that there's a God. The Bible says the devil also believes and trembles. But once you know, old vain man, that faith without works is dead? You've got to do more than just believe that He exists. You've got to commit your life to Him and make Him your Lord. That doesn't mean that you're saying you'll never do anything wrong because you can't fulfill that. But you've got to be willing to turn your life over and trust Him completely for your salvation. Anybody else need to pray that prayer before we pray for the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Praise God. Awesome. Well, I'm going to lead the two of you in prayer. And I'm going to say the words that you need to say. The Bible says in Romans 10, 9, that if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. That's more than just words. You got to make him Lord. And then believe in your heart that he forgave you and that he comes and lives on the inside of you. Then you'll be saved. He's already paid for everything. He's forgiven your sins, but you have to receive it. So I'm going to lead you in a prayer and I want you to repeat after me and say these words. And if you will mean this from your heart, it's not magic. You have to believe it. But if you will believe it, you'll be born again. Isn't that a good deal? That's awesome, isn't it? Amen. Let's have everybody pray this so they won't feel like people are just listening to them. Say, Father, Father, I'm I'm sorry for my sin. I believe Jesus died to forgive my sin. I and I receive that forgiveness. Jesus, I make you my Lord. I believe that you are alive, I that you, are alive. That you now, live in me. now live in me. I am forgiven. I am, forgiven. I am saved, I am saved. Right, now. right now in Jesus' name. In Jesus name. Amen. 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 You believe that? awesome. Welcome to the family, brother. Do you believe that? Welcome. Now, according to the word of God, every person down here has already made Jesus your Lord. And the scripture says you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And that's powerful. He created you to be a temple, a dwelling place for the Holy Spirit. So you don't have to wonder, will he fill me? He wants to fill you. God's a good God. This is what He made you for. He wants you to have the power of the Holy Spirit. So you don't have to beg. You don't have to plead. Some people teach that you got to get holy and you can't have any sin in your life to receive the Holy Spirit. If you could get holy without the Holy Spirit, you wouldn't need the Holy Spirit. You need the Holy Spirit. If you got sin in your life, you're the prime candidate for the baptism of the Holy Spirit because He comes and gives you power. So don't let any sense of unworthiness or feelings like I've messed up somehow or another keep you from doing this. God wants to give you his power. That's what the Bible says. So we're just going to ask one time. We aren't going to beg and plead. We're just going to open up the doors of our temple and welcome the Holy Spirit to come take up residence in us. And then I'm going to have our prayer ministers come up here and these people are going to stand behind you. And they're going to lay hands on you because the Bible says that when they laid hands on people, the Holy Spirit was given. So we're going to ask, they're going to lay hands on you and release this power of the Holy Spirit into you. And then after they lay hands on you, I want you to quit asking God to give you the Holy Spirit. There's a time to ask, but there's a time to believe that God did it. And so after they lay hands on you, I want you to quit asking and start thanking God that He gave you the Holy Spirit just like He promised that He would do. Whether you feel anything or not. Some people think, well, I don't feel anything. I didn't feel a thing when I got the Holy Spirit, but I guarantee you, I got it. And He got me. And it's changed my life. It's just something you have to believe. We're going to ask, they're going to lay hands on, and then I want you to start thanking God. And at that time, after they lay hands on you, I want you to put your hands in the air and start thanking God because the Bible says that when you lift up your hands like this, you bless the Lord. This blesses him. It's like when somebody sticks a gun in your back and you go, I surrender. It's your way of yielding and blessing the Lord. So we're going to pray and invite the Lord. They're going to lay hands on you. Then you're going to start lifting your hands and thanking God for giving you the Holy Spirit. And then those of us who know how to pray in tongues are going to start praying in tongues because the Bible says that when you pray in tongues, you're giving thanks well unto God. So we're going to start thanking God with you in our prayer language. And I want you at that time to quit talking in English and start praying in tongues. And you won't understand what you're saying, but the Bible says you're praising God in a heavenly language that's bypassing all of the doubt and the unbelief and the confusion that's in your mind. It's powerful. And I've got a book that I'm going to give one of you. It will explain this more. And I've got a lot more I can say, but if you're ready... You can pray in tongues right now. The number one thing that hinders people from praying in tongues, they think that the Holy Spirit's gonna take control of you and force you to speak in tongues. And so they just kind of ask and then they wait on the Holy Spirit to make you talk in tongues. It doesn't happen that way. It's very similar to when I talked tonight. I believe that God inspired what I said, but he didn't force me to say it. I said it, I thought of it. It was me talking but I believe it was inspired by God. It's the same thing when you pray in tongues. You have to talk. You have to make sounds and believe that God gives it to you. And you'll find out that it'll start flowing out of you. He'll confirm it to you, but it is a step of faith. You have to take a step of faith and and it'll be powerful. And this book will help you. But if you're ready, you can pray in tongues right now. Is that a good deal? The Bible says believers will pray in new tongues. And I want you to say, I'm a believer. And I will speak in tongues. tongues. Father, I thank you for all of these. Thank you, Father, that we are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. We open up the doors of our temple. Every one of us, just open up our heart right now. And Holy Spirit, we want your power in our life. Jesus said we would receive power After the Holy Spirit comes upon us, we want that power. We open up our heart and welcome your power. Welcome these gifts of the Holy Spirit. We want you to control us and we receive it right now. We lay hands on you in Jesus name and say, receive the Holy Spirit in Jesus name. We loose this power and this anointing to flow through every one of these right now in the name of Jesus Father, we just thank you that the anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit is coming upon every one of these. Thank you, Jesus. Now, I want you to put your hands up. Start thanking God that he gave you the Holy Spirit. Thank God that you are filled with the Holy Spirit. I don't care what you feel like. Believe the word of God. Father, thank you that your word's true, that I am now filled with the power of the Holy Spirit from this time forth. It's not me, but it's your power in me. Father, we yield to your anointing. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for giving me the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Now, those of you know how to pray in tongues. Let's start praying in tongues right now. And as we speak in tongues and worship the Lord, I want you to join in with us. If you don't know what to say, you can try and say what you hear the person behind you say, but your tongue will be unique to you. It's not gonna be the same as another person. You need to speak. Just speak out right now in Jesus' name. Don't worry about what it sounds like. You aren't talking to yourself. You're talking to God. You know, when a little baby first starts talking, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't really sound like English. But that parent knows what that kid's trying to say. And you know what? The parent is pleased. God is pleased with you right now. It'll become more fluent. You'll get to where you have greater confidence in it. But the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit is flowing in every one of you. Every one of you right now, we just receive this power of the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. Praise God. Just be bold. Talk loud enough that you can hear yourself. Thank you Jesus. Well the Bible says when you're praying in tongues it's your spirit praying. I'm going to talk about that this week. It's powerful, powerful. You can't talk in tongues with your mouth closed you got to open your mouth. Thank you Jesus. That's it. Many, many, many of these are speaking in tongues right now. And the power of God is flowing. You don't understand what's happening, but this is changing your life. You have just started communicating with God from your spirit instead of your brain. You're releasing power. It's bypassing the doubt and the fear that you have in your mind. It's a direct hotline to God. God. It's powerful and it builds you up. The Bible says it promotes spiritual growth. Thank you, Jesus. Let me have your attention here for just a minute. I'm sorry to interrupt all of you, but I've got a book that I wrote on this and I would like to give this to every one of you. When I first prayed for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it took me three and a half years before I spoke in tongues, but that's because I was a Baptist and I had been taught that this was of the devil. And I was so afraid that I was going to do something wrong that it scared me and it kept me from speaking in tongues for a long time. But I've answered all of those questions in my book. I've talked about how to speak in tongues. There's been lots of people who come forward and don't speak in tongues immediately, or maybe they spoke in something, but they just weren't sure it was God. And they study this book and it just transforms their life. And I'd like to give this book to every one of you. It also has a part of the book. Half of the book is about what true salvation is. And it would help the two that came and prayed for salvation tonight. And I want to give this book to you because what's happened to you tonight is more important than what you realize. I promise you that some of you may have felt something. Some of you, this was just an act of obedience and you may not have felt like your life has been totally changed, but you've got the key total victory tonight. This is that powerful. But you need to understand what's happened or you won't get the full benefit. So really I'd like to give everyone a book. And this is Ashley right here, the man in the red shirt, waving his arm. And his daughter is the one that was miraculously healed over in England. And he's going to take you. And they've got a little book that they want to give you. They also will answer any questions. If any of you need prayer or if you have any problems at all, there's people there that want to help you. We just want you to get the full benefit. So if you would, just follow Ashley. They'll give you the book and release you. It only takes a few minutes. But we want you to get the full benefit out of this baptism of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. So if you would, just follow Ashley right here. And um, we want you to get the full benefit out of this. Thank you, Jesus. Man, isn't this awesome? I bet you that's close to 100 people tonight that came to receive. I believe you're going to be stronger than horseradish. Awesome. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you for coming. You're welcome. You know, these people down here, these are our prayer ministers. This is Al and Angie I was telling you about. He was miraculously healed. He's supposed to be in a wheelchair, and here he is walking around. Deborah here is a little firecracker. Small package, but great power. Pastor Bobby Ray is from Dallas, North Carolina. He has a gift of miracles. He travels with us and this man's seen awesome miracles. And every one of these has been through a training with Melinda, the head of our our prayer ministry right here. They They know not to just beg God or believe that God put something on you to teach you something, but they're going to take their authority and as a believer stand here and release power. And... I'd like to ask you that if you would like prayer tonight, I just can't minister to every single person. We've outgrown that. I don't have the ability, the strength, and we don't need it. We see every time people, we see blind eyes open, deaf ears open through these prayer ministers. And so it's God that's healing you. And all we're doing is just agreeing and uh, praying a prayer of agreement. So if you need prayer for anything, I want to ask you to come forward And let one of our prayer ministers here lay hands on you. And we're going to believe God for a miracle. We do have people standing at the aisles and their purpose is to direct you towards someone so that everybody just won't go to one side. And if you would cooperate with them, it'll help us to pray for people. But we've got enough prayer ministers here that we're able to pray with every single person. They can give you the time that you need to be able to receive your healing. And so I encourage you to come and expect God to do a miracle in your life. Amen. Praise the Lord. If you need healing, just get out up out of your seat. Let us pray with you. The rest of you, I'm going to release you in just a moment. I, I do stay and I pray and lead people in prayer as these are receiving prayer. And most of the time I operate in the gifts of the spirit, start calling out healings. Last night we did this same thing. And I was calling out healing, and I said, somebody's arm, you aren't able to straighten your arm out. There was a police officer that had been shot and wasn't able to move his arm, and he was totally healed. I prayed over heart problems, and people were able to move. And So there's a lot of miracles that happen. You're welcome to stay and pray with us because uh, there's a lot of good things that happen. But if you need to go, you're welcome to go. Don't forget that we have DVDs and CDs Already duplicated outside, and you can pick those up on your way out, and they would be a blessing to you. Got a lot of other materials. Uh, If you'd like to become a partner with us and help us get the Word of God out, remember to see Jim out there. And praise God, come back tomorrow. We'll be back on Friday and Saturday morning at 10 o'clock, and also 7 p.m. on Friday night, 6 p.m. on Saturday night. God bless you. Thanks for coming. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we just agree right now and we pray for all of these. Father, we know that you have willed for everyone to be well. Father, just like I was preaching tonight, I don't believe that you made a single person sick. I don't believe that you've caused this. I thank you that this isn't your punishment. You placed our punishment on Jesus and that you aren't punishing any of us. That Jesus bore our sickness to produce health in us. Father, we thank you that you've already ordained this and you said that believers would lay hands on the sick and they would recover. We are believers and we are laying hands on all of these people now and we believe that they are recovering. Thank you for supernatural recovery. In every one of these people, thank you that sickness and disease leaves. Confusion is gone. The Lord's speaking to me that somebody here, it's like you're in a fog. You just aren't able to think clearly. Your whole mind has been clouded and it's because of strife. The Bible says we're envying and strife is there is confusion in every evil work. But your mind, you know that you just aren't hitting on all cylinders. Something has happened to you. It's a demonic thing that's attacked you. Somebody in here is being set free by that right now. If that's you, I want you to stand because there's a lot of people standing. I want you to stand and raise your hand so I can see who this is. Somebody that's like in a fog because of confusion, strife. God is going to set you free right now. If that's you, I want you to stand and raise your hand so I can see who it is I'm praying for. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I pray for all of these right now. And we just stand against this confusion, against this fog. We break the root of it. We command this strife, the anger, the unforgiveness that's in these lives. We let it go right now. Father, regardless of what's happened to us, we just forgive. And this is important. If you've got unforgiveness, let it go right now let it go. Father, we bless those people. We forgive them even the way that you forgave us. We are not holding a grudge. We do not wish them bad. Father, we release your supernatural love to flow towards them. We get rid of this strife. And right now, Father, I thank you that this confusion is gone over us, that Satan is bound and father clarity comes back. I feel like God is just delivering some of you right now. There's been so much hurt. So many things have been done unto you, but you're poisoning yourself with unforgiveness. It's not hurting the other person, it's hurting you. You need to let go of this. God's given you a deliverance right now and your healing has begun right this moment. Tonight, your heart is changing and I believe that peace is coming unto you in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. I want you to just praise God right now and believe that God has set you free, that the strife is gone, the confusion is gone. Thank you, Father. We agree and we receive this miracle. Thank you for doing this in the mighty name of Jesus. There's somebody here that's got problems on the underside of your arm, this this bottom muscle. What muscle is that? That's a tricep, isn't it? But somebody here's got a problem. Is this you? What happened? Did you have cancer or something? That's what I was going to say. I believe this is you. God's healing. Anybody else here that you've had a problem right here in this muscle? Here's another person over here. Father, right now in the name of Jesus, you know, this is a word of knowledge. You've been believing for your healing, but here's the healing power of God flowing through you. As your sister's laying hands on you, there's the anointing of God. We command the healing power of God to flow. Cancer, you are broken now in the name of Jesus and we lose this healing power. And Father, thank you for setting these people free right now. If you've had any pain, that pain's gone right now. Whatever discomfort you've had is gone in Jesus' name. Father, we thank you. Thank you that by the stripes of Jesus, we were healed and we receive it right now. In the mighty name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Isn't that awesome? Did you have any pain before we prayed? Were you having pain before we prayed? How do you feel now? You got any pain? No pain? You know why you don't have any pain? Because you've been healed. It's not a coincidence. You are healed. Isn't that great? How about you? Did you have pain? Did you have pain? I can't hear you. Just yes or no. Do you have any pain now? No? Pain's gone? Isn't that awesome? Praise the Lord. I believe Jesus has healed you. Don't ever let that come back. Don't ever let it come back. And you know, one of the things that happens is sometimes people who've had a cancer or something, they'll go back to the doctor to get it confirmed. And I'm not against that, but you just have to take what they say with a grain of salt because many of them won't tell you you're healed because of liability issues. If they were to tell you you're healed and it comes back, they could be in trouble and they aren't going to say things outside of their box. I'm telling you, God has healed you. The anointing of God is in you. You believe it and don't listen to somebody else who tells you something else. I believe that you've been healed in Jesus name. Thank you, father. Well, there's a number of people here that you've got pain in your neck. I don't know what it's from, but just, you've got chronic pain in your neck. This isn't like you just had a stiff neck today, but you've had this a long time, some kind of an injury or something. Whoever that is, I want you to stand and raise your hand if that's you. This is the devil. He's a pain in the neck. I can promise you that. I believe God's healing your neck right now. If that's you, make sure you're standing with your hand up so I can see who this is. Praise the Lord. Father, I release this anointing right now. I believe that this is a word from you that you are healing people right now. vertebrates, discs. There's somebody here that's had your neck fused in an attempt to solve this. God is healing you right now. Here's the healing power of God. And we command the pain to be gone. Command the discomfort to be gone. And whatever causes it, next you be healed now in the name of Jesus. I loose this anointing to flow right now and believe that every bit of this pain goes now. Move your neck like you weren't able to do. Put it in the position where you felt pain. Begin to move and do things. And right now, here's the healing power, God. That pain's leaving you as you move. Father, we agree and receive this miracle right now in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Man, let's praise God. Thank God for healing all of these people's necks. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. All right, so who in here already has the pain gone? You can tell the difference. Right here. Right here's another one. Anybody else? Here's another one back here. Here's two, three, four more. Here's a bunch of people. Praise God. And you know what? Every one of you were healed. Jesus spoke to the fig tree And it took about 24 hours before what he spoke was visible, but it was done the moment he spoke it. Every one of you were healed. And the same way that these have already seen complete manifestation, you ought to rejoice and say, that same word came to me, I'm healed. And I don't care if it takes 10 minutes, I'm healed. Amen. That's the way you need to respond. God's healed you. Mercy over here didn't just immediately get well, but she started acting on the word and she got better and better. And here she is, just totally normal, praise God, healed from multiple sclerosis. Isn't that awesome? Thank you, Jesus. And now here they are helping in a gospel proof seminar. Isn't that a blessing? Father, we thank you for your miraculous healing power. Thank you, Father, for healing all of these people. Thank you, Jesus. Somebody here's got a growth in your nose. I don't know what that is, but God's healing somebody that has a growth in your nose. Who is this? Who is this? I know I got the right meeting. I I need to see who this is. Somebody here's got a growth in your nose. It's not somebody who's left. The Holy Ghost knows who's here. It's for somebody who's here. I did for the first time last year. This is the healing power of God flowing. You need to respond. You know, in the past, I've called out something like this, and I've had people come up later and say, I wonder if that was me. I had a growth in the nose. You know how you tell if this is you? You got a growth in the nose, it's you. (laughs) Is that you, brother? Did you have a growth in the nose? Let Larry lay hands on you right here. And Father, in the name of Jesus... We just release this anointing right now. And we command this growth to leave. Whatever the source of it is, be healed. Growth, you be gone now. In Jesus' mighty name. Thank you, Jesus. Boy, that thing's leaving you, brother. You're healed. And you know, this is going to be much more important. Much more important than just the healing of your nose. It's going to show you something about the power of God. You're going to be a lot stronger because of this healing. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we agree and we receive this miracle right now in Jesus' mighty name. Thank you, Father. Praise God. Father, we just agree. Thank you, Jesus. Somebody here has been having problems breathing. I don't know what's causing that. There's a lot of things that can cause problems with breathing. But if you're having problems breathing, I believe that there's an anointing of God right now to touch you and to heal you. If that's you, I want you to stand, raise your hand so we can see who this is. If that's you, stand up and raise your hand. And here's the healing power of God coming unto you right now, wherever you are. Thank you, Jesus. All the way in the back, here's the healing power of God coming unto you. Father, we release this anointing right now in Jesus' name. And whatever is caused this, C-O-P-D, asthma emphysema, heart problems, whatever it is, we release the anointing of God right now and command these lungs to receive this power in anointing. Lungs, you be healed. Somebody here's got something like pneumonia, some kind of an infection. And right here's the healing power of God healing you and opening your lungs up. It's going to take just a brief period of time for all of that infection and phlegm that's on the inside to be cleared out. But here's the healing power of God. You're free of that right now in Jesus name. Father, we release that anointing and thank you father for healing these lungs that people are able to breathe properly. Thank you. Heavenly father, we agree and we receive this miracle right now in the mighty name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise God. Amen. Y'all believe you receive? Thank you, Jesus. Take a deep breath. Can anybody already tell a difference here? I believe. Can you already tell a difference? If that's you, I want you to wave at me. Here's some people right here. Here's three, four, five. Anybody else? Six back here. Seven right there. Eight, nine. 10. I believe that every one of you are healed. Sometimes it just takes a period of time, but the power of God is in you. You are recovering from this moment forward in Jesus name. Thank you, father. Hallelujah. Number of people's backs are being healed. Some of you, when I called out this problem with the neck, you were saying, Oh man, I wish it had been my back. This is you. Amen. (laughs) Amen. Amen. People that have been having problems with your back. Here's your back being healed. I want you to stand and raise your hand. Here's one over here. Here's some others here. If you've been having problems with your back, I want you to stand and raise your hands. Here's the healing power of God. Father, we release this anointing right now and whatever it is with this, with these backs, I just release your anointing. Satan, you loose them. Injury be gone off of them and command bad backs to be healed. Somebody's being healed of scoliosis right now. Curvature of the spine, you're being healed right now. Here's the anointing of God. We command these backs to receive right now, pain to be gone. And anything that is damaged in those backs, I speak life into them. Healing now in Jesus' name. Perfect health coming into these backs. Pain, you be gone. The source of the pain is gone. Now pain, you leave in Jesus' name. Backs, you be healed. Hallelujah. Father, we receive it and believe that you are a healing people. Right now, I want you to begin to move. Do something that you didn't feel like doing. And as you move, here's the healing power of God flowing through you. And this pain's leaving. Somebody it's leaving right now, as you move, there's the anointing of God flowing right there father, we agree and we receive these miracles. Praise the Lord. Who in here has already felt your pain leave? If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. If your pain's already left and here's about seven or eight people here, another two, three, four, man, that must be at least a dozen, two dozen people. And I believe that all the rest of you are healed too. You need to act on it. And if you ever have another pain, it doesn't mean that you weren't healed. It's just the devil knocking, seeing if you'll let him back in. And what you've got to do is say, no, I was healed. I am healed. You speak to it the way that I did and it'll work. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we just praise you for all of these miraculous things. We recognize that Jesus is the one who heals, not a person. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the Holy Spirit being present with us right here tonight for miracles happening. Father, thank you for touching people and changing them. Thank you that there's people being miraculously healed just like Mercy was or like the Trovers baby or Al. Thank you, Father, that we're going to hear awesome miracles come out of this. We just, we just give you the glory for it. We just had a lady. She just walked out to give her a testimony, but her leg grew out and her back was healed. He said that there was a woman who had a back problem. Her leg grew out. Her back was healed. She's out there giving her testimony. Amen. We've already seen a lot of great miracles happen right here tonight. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Father, we agree. And we receive all of your miracles working in these people in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Well, it looks like everybody's getting prayer who wants prayer, so I'll let you go. Thanks for coming. Remember, we're back at 10 o'clock, both Friday and Saturday mornings, 7 o'clock Friday night and 6 o'clock on Saturday. Uh, did I say there? 7 o'clock Friday night, 6 o'clock on Saturday. Don't forget all of the materials and things that we have out there. Those would be a blessing to you. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed.